Hello and welcome to another Wattpad podcast. Today we have with us Bill Clergy, who is a full-time writer of Glide, a science fiction novel on Wattpad's featured stories list. Hi, Bill. Hi, Pam. How are you today? Great. Um, where are we talking to you from? Today I happen to be in Washington, D.C. I live here, mm-hmm. uh, but I also work here. So you're currently a full-time writer already, right? Yes. I am a full-time writer. Uh, not sure that I'm quite earning a living off of it yet, but uh, <laughs> pretty soon. <laughs> well, you said on your Wattpad profile that you worked in the field of technology for 20 years before turning to full-time writing. So what was your job before you turned to writing? And how has that helped you prepare for writing science fiction? I worked at a uh, technology consulting firm called Accenture. It um, goes all the way back to uh, Arthur Anderson. That's when I first started there many years ago. Um, at Accenture, I was a software designer and developer, mm-hmm. and I worked my way up. I worked my way up to uh, managing partner, which sounds may sound impressive, but it mostly means that I got to tell other software designers and developers what to do. <laughs> uh, but, uh, it, you know, the kinds of things I did, uh, Pam, at Accenture were um, helping my clients figure out how to use technology to compete more effectively, to help their businesses compete more effectively. And so it, we did things like uh, uh, automation, uh, data mining, uh, collaboration, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all systems to support all that sort of thing. I was immersed in technology for years and years and years. And so, of course... Uh, that's one of the things that uh, that informed my science fiction is that I had uh, you know plenty of time to uh, think about the impacts of technology, how my clients think about the impact of technology, try to predict where technology was leading us, uh, that sort of thing. And so, and so that actually had a big um, a big impact on um, on my uh, my science fiction, and obviously on my for those who've read it, uh, my first novel, uh, Glide. Right. Um, in thinking about technology, um, one of the one of the things that uh, you know really started to uh, to gel for me is um, how linked and interconnected we, the humans, are with uh, our technologies, and so that really is sort of a theme that uh, sits that, that you know, rests in my writing and um, is kind of throughout whether I'm writing short stories. Okay, that sounds actually pretty exciting. The career that you had. And, you know, with your background in engineering from Cornell University and in your years of work experience, do you ever have trouble explaining um, concepts in layman's terms? Do you ever find it difficult to judge what the general public may or may not understand in your writing? Um, you know, it's kind of it's interesting. I, mean, I was a uh, material science uh, major at Cornell, uh, which certainly, once again, played into plays into my fiction, um, and, and certainly into my my first novel, uh, published novel here, uh, *Glide*. And you know, I'm the kind of writer, Pam, that believes read that readers like to be challenged. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that most readers uh, uh, you know, get a good challenge from having a writing dumbed down to quote unquote dumbed down to meet some standard or or to, to meet their level. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's funny when there, there are certain um, there are certain do's and don'ts that you uh, that you get when you read about how to write fiction. You know, books about how to write fiction or talk to agents or editors, and and you know, 
you're, you're generally coached to steer clear of difficult terms, difficult concepts, etc. Um, but I, I personally believe that readers like to be challenged. Now, that said, <laughs> you, you know, you can't, you also can uh, bore somebody to death, right? So there's a fine line between challenging a reader and putting them to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Um, and, and so, um, I, you know, I, I get that. Um, and, and what's interesting is um, in GLAD, I do get into some technical concepts, especially mm-hmm. early on in the book, when I'm trying to get into the head of my main character, who is a, supposed to be a genius inventor. Um, and the feedback I've gotten from those chapters, those chapters, you know, varies widely. It's been called everything from techno battle to brilliant. <laughs> so it really depends on the reader, I think. And yeah. so my view is that, you know, I'll, I'll write it. Um, I, of course, I edit it. I, you know, have other people edit my work too. Um, and um, in the end, I feel like, you know, most readers do like a good challenge. So I try to strive for that fine line between, uh, you know, between the challenge, being challenging and putting them to sleep. <laughs> and so what guide do you use to, you know, let yourself know whether something is crossing the line or not? Like, do you have a trusted group of editors that you um, lean on to let you know if something is too challenging or not challenging enough? Yeah, well, I do have... Uh, people who read my work. So, of course, my uh, my wife is one, and she is not a technology person by any means. And so, I know that if it's sailing over her head, and uh, you know, she knows me very well, obviously, right? So, yeah, uh, she's acc- she's accustomed to uh, hearing me talk about technology and knows that I have a penchant for it, etc. But uh, and, and so, she's willing to cut me a little slack when she reads my writing. But um, I, I have some other friends as well who. Um, are good um, are good editors. If you, if you look at the acknowledgments that I wrote for Glide, I list some people there who I turn to uh, to read my work. And, and uh, you know, if they all come back and say, "So oh, it's too much," then I know it's too much. But if uh, the feedback is not really necessarily consistent, some like it, some don't, then you know I have to make the editorial call myself. Yeah, you know, give and take. Uh, but I'll tell you what. That's why a site like White Wattpad, Pam, is so important to me because mm-hmm. uh, you get that feedback directly from readers who aren't in your, you know, sort of circle, right? Uh, yeah. You know, the problem with people who are in your circle is they know you, so they are automatically come in with a bias. Um, with Wattpad, the readers don't really know me, so they're telling me what they think. You've posted your first novel on Wattpad, Glide, um, and they hear that you're currently working on the sequel for it. But could you tell our listeners right now a little bit about the plot of Glide for those who aren't familiar with it? Sure, sure. In a you know, in a sentence or two, Glide tells the tale of a uh, a legendary inventor who must save a kidnapped teen um, and, and the hopeful future he created with his inventions when the dark side of those inventions are exposed. You know, it's it mostly it's a tale. Uh, my, my goal is to make it a trilogy. Um, mm-hmm. that's what it's the pie of the is really just the plot line of book one. Um, the trilogy flows between a sort of dystopian era, era that we're kind of heading into now. So the book is set in what I would call sort of an intermediate future. It's not distant future, but it's sort of intermediate future. Let's call it, you know, 
100 years out, 50 to 100 years out, is the idea uh, based on where we are today with our technology. Um, yes. And um, uh, in between, though, there's this era that we go through, one that we, I would argue, uh, or some would argue, you, you might be heading into now that is a little bit more dystopian in nature. I, I think that's one of the reasons why dystopians, you know, dystopian stories like the Hunger Games are so popular. Yeah. The facts on the ground today are just so grim, right? You know, 3,800 uh, heat wave temperature records broken just in the last, you know, uh, few months, right? Um, wow, I, d I actually did not know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The facts are kind of grim. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the reasons why dystopian novels are so popular and, and also dark paranormal novels, uh, a little bit like um, Otter and Twilight uh, and stuff uh, are so popular, is because when you look at the facts on the ground, they just reflect, um, you know, the sort of future we're facing. Um, so what I tried to do with God was look past that. I tried to say, okay, yeah, so things are kind of grim now, and we may end up paying a price for um, for our, uh, our actions or inaction. Um, but is it possible that we'll pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and pull ourselves through? And being an optimist by nature, I do believe that. And so the trilogy actually flows between that, this, that sort of intermediate or intervening dystopian area dominated by an organization I'll call the Academy mm -hmm. and the sort of tenuous utopia, future utopia that follows that is, you know, in my book uh, or in the trilogy known as the Glide Era that's marked by enlightened science, enlightened science mm -hmm. and um, that science, you know, strives to restore equilibrium to the planet and civilization. Um, but it's such subtle science that, like the technologies technologies we're you know using today, that are kind of getting us into trouble. Yeah, I'm talking about things like combustion energy and you know other stuff. Uh, the future science also has the potential of threatening to transform the world forever too. So, that's so it's about. I'm sorry, <laughs> so Glide is in that transitional uncertain era between. You know the move of society from a dystopian one to a potential utopia, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hear the word utopia on purpose because to me, utopias are kind of boring in nature and impossible. <laughs> I would say and impossible too, and impossible too, because uh, it, it implies perfection. Exactly, and we all know that humanity is, uh, is is imperfect, and that's one of the mysteries and beauties of. Uh, us, right, and what mm -hmm. we are is that we are imperfect. So it's not a utopia, uh, but it's just uh, let's call it just good times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we could just call it that. <laughs> <laughs> the good times, good times in the future. But um, you know, one of the things I really try to explore in um, in the trilogy, and and it it came, comes right out of my uh, my background, you know, starting with uh, my engineering degree at Cornell, and then my my uh, technology work at Accenture is um, what I like to call the great romance. Uh, and so, you know, when I say the great romance, I know of Condor's ideas of either, you know, Starcraft's lovers mm -hmm. or, um, you know, uh, maybe even a romance with your, with your God or whatever it may be. But to me, the great romance for humans um, is with our technology. Um, really? What, what I actually argue in Glide is that it's technology itself that defines humanity. So, uh, 
without technology, without sort of napping flint and starting fire or, you know, inventing tools and hammers and, and things like that, uh, we would be no different than the species that surround us. And so the very definition of humanity is based on technology. And if you go all the way back to, you know, the days when cave paintings were modern art, um, <laughs> you know, all, the way, all the way back then, you know, we loved our technology. Yeah. We, if we, we, that's whether, you know, we love it. Whether it's the invention of the handles, you know, for a coffee cup or it's the invention of the new iPad. And, uh, the question is, where are we going with it? You know, mm-hmm. we'll someday define us more than we define it. Um, and, and has that already happened? So, uh, that's, that, that's a big part of what I think about all the time. And, uh, when I'm writing Glide and, and the trilogy and ideas that I try to explore, um, and, and, um, and, you know, that sort of thing. Okay. Well, that's actually an interesting way of looking at things because when you think about it, it's true. When you go to all those museums and um, those types of places, that's basically how they um, explain the history of humanity is through all these innovations and technology that we've developed over time. So that makes complete sense to me. Um, now, you categorize Glide in a new subgenre called green sci-fi. So, could you explain to our listeners what green sci-fi is all about? I know that you've touched on it a little bit with, you know, um, our relationship as humans with technology. So, green science, if people hear the term green, and um, they immediately, I think, associate it with eco-friendly technologies, right? Anything that's sort of uh, ecologically friendly. And, and, that, and that really is at the heart of, uh, of green sci-fi. Um, it, it's funny, I, um, my, my neighbor... Uh, here in Washington, um, the senior executive over at the Discovery Channel, and I was talking to him about my book last fall, and I mentioned the term green sci-fi, and he rolled his eyes and said, "Ugh, oh, green." Because <laughs> you know we try green, we try green all the time on uh, on uh, Discovery Channel, meaning that they try to run different programs that promote green living and green construction and all that sort of stuff. And he said, you know, it's just not that popular. You would think it would be because everybody's all over it, but, but it's not. I said, well, why do you think that's so? And he said, well, the problem is that everybody loves the idea of green until they until it impacts their own lives, until they have to be responsible for it. And then they don't really like it anymore because it's inconvenient. Yeah. Um, and he, he's kind of right. And so green sci-fi is a risky term. I know that because green has both a positive negation and all a connotation and also a negative connotation um, uh, for people. But but really, the beauty of it to me is that it's not green science; it's green science fiction. Yeah. The other term there is, is fiction, and so you know you can let your imagination kind of run wild with what. The world might look like um, if we really did, uh, you know, build some of the technologies that we're talking about to uh, restore and preserve uh, our ecosystems and uh, planets and natural resources and stuff. So, um, yeah, that's what green sci-fi is all about. It's, it's mostly it's about um, a belief or an optimism that um, you know we'll be able to innovate our way out of the sort of dark times and grim scenarios that we've uh, engineered and uh, engineered our way into uh, yeah. our own self-interest. Uh, so that's what it is. It's intended to be optimistic and, and future-looking. Yeah, and it definitely adds a different flair to the idea of 
environmentally friendly technology. I mean, I know that most people or maybe not most people, but a lot of people see anything environmentally friendly and that sort of topic is a bit boring. But with green sci-fi, I see it adding a little bit of magic into it and making it more fantastical because it's like innovations that are possible, right? But would be possible maybe in a far more distant future. And so it's like it does let the imagination run wild for sure and you can imagine living in this sort of like almost like close to a utopia i guess i'm glad you used the word magic because that's how i like to sort of portray it the idea is that you know that there is there'll be a time when you know science at least by today's standards are so advanced that it almost feels and seems like magic exactly but the best example i can give you of that is is Think about, um, if you think about um, what uh, people 100 years ago would think of cell phones today, right? 100 years ago, there's nothing wireless, and, um, you know, I think people would actually look at them and say, well, you mean there's another person on the other end of that? I mean, it would be magic. It would absolutely seem like magic. Or you're talking to yourself. Exactly, exactly. It's so, actually, um, it's uh, pretty funny because when you look at like really old uh, Star Trek episodes, you know, they're supposed to be like super advanced and way out there in the future, yet there were some earlier episodes where they were talking on um, phones that were connected by wires to something. So even back then, it seemed like, you know, it wasn't even realistic yet to have cell phones. Exactly. You know, it's funny. I, I can't remember where, but... I was reading um, an article, uh, it was probably six months ago or so, someone had gone through and actually uh, evaluated, um, you know, Star Trek on its futurism, on its futuristic thinking, uh-huh. and kind of went through all the different inventions, like, you know, the you know the body scanner that uh, Dr. McCoy uses uh, to, uh, to scan people's bodies, and, and like their little flip phone, which is a cell phone, right, and that sort of stuff to see if it really exists or doesn't exist. And um, what's funny is that either the, most, the majority of the technologies that have already been invented that were imagined back then that were really just a twinkle in somebody's eye, uh, in the writer's eyes, um, and and some, there are some that are close, like, for example, the body scanner. Um, you know, sometime over the next 10, 15 years, it's expected we'll have handheld MRI machines, and once you have those, that'll be just like that body scanner that yeah. used to use. But the one, the one that we have made no progress on, really, is the transporter. <laughs> <laughs> the um, most important thing. <laughs> right, well, exactly, exactly, right? So, and, and it's funny, one of the, that's one of the, uh, one of the devices in my, um, in my novel, uh, I call a gnome, and that is, uh, it's, it's the equivalent of a transporter. It's, similar to a transporter mm-hmm. but uh, so that technology is probably still a ways off <laughs> but hopefully one day in our lifetime that would be awesome it would be <laughs> so do you really think that humans will develop more environmentally friendly tech in the near future closer to the type of technology that you portray in glide it's hard to say i would say a couple of things first of all there's an awful lot of cool things that are here right now that most a lot of people just don't know about. Like, for example, 
you know, there's uh, um, there's some companies um, now that are, they're, st- they're still startup companies, they're small, that are doing, uh, taking trash, there's some pure trash, like the stuff you just throw out on the street and don't want to see or think or smell again, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, convert that into uh, 100% usable new materials. The organic stuff goes into making cellulosic ethanol. Yeah. Uh, and ethanol, as you know, a lot more environmentally, environmentally friendly to burn. And the inorganic stuff gets recycled. The plastics get sorted from the metals and all that sort of stuff. And, and um, you know, it's all reused. And so 100% of your waste is reused by some of these companies. That's technology that is here today. It's not being mass produced. Uh, unfortunately, those companies that are doing this stuff are just starting to get some funding, and it's hard. Right? Mm-hmm. So they're just sort of fighting the inertia of you know industry today. But um, you know they they really are uh, on their way. There's uh, there's other there's other technologies like uh, you know in Glide, one of the technologies I talk about is solar emulsifier. So things get painted with essentially nanoscopic solar cells and are able to be sort of self-sufficient in terms of generating energy because of that. Uh, well, guess what? There's actually uh, some guys who recently created solar glass and, and some other guys who are focusing on building, uh, on building just like this, solar paint uh, to be able to paint onto things. So, you know, on the one hand, there's a lot of really good stuff that is right here, right now, going to happen, um, you know, yeah. yes, there are obstacles to it, you know, there's, you know, for example, fossil fuel companies that really don't want to see this stuff start to come to market until they've, you know, sort of, you know, run their uh, their wells dry, but uh, but at the same time, it, it's coming and it will come, I think, faster and the more record-breaking droughts and record-breaking floods and record-breaking heat that we have, the more likely I think it is that uh, a lot of these companies will get attention. Yeah, it'll you know, push us, time. right, to pay attention to all these potential solutions to our problems. Exactly, exactly, Pam. And, you know, all that said, though, uh, I think we're, we're, in general, as a society, especially nowadays, very cynical. You know, there was, if you go back to the, the 1960s, when we had the race to space and sort of everybody kind of got behind this space program and putting a man, putting a man on the moon and all that sort of stuff, there was a general optimism about technology, about what it could do for us, how it could help society and, and, and so forth. I don't think we have that right now. I think no. we've lost that. I think technology has lost that luster. I think people look at sort of big industrial technology is really just polluting the planet, making things worse, uh, et cetera. And, and so, you know, my, my feeling is that it's up to us artists and writers to kind of restoke that imagination, right, that sort of collective imagination. You know, if, if we as artists and writers can't imagine a brighter future, well, then we can't really expect corrupt politicians to legislate one for us, right? It's, mm, it's just not going to happen. And, and you can't expect business leaders, you can't, you know, hold uh, business leaders' feet to the fire by saying, you know, go do this when we can't even imagine it. So, I don't know, I feel like um, if we imagine it and we put it out there and, and people uh, start to latch on to it, um, it has, uh, has a good chance of, of happening. So I try to be optimistic about it, even though I know the facts are on the ground are grim and people tend to be cynical. Yeah, and that's a pretty interesting um, way of looking at the role of writers and artists in society. I mean, 
um, it's usually works of art that help to change the public perception of things or to boost morale or, you know, um, the general attitude of society as a whole. And that's something I think that a lot of people take for granted. Now, you said earlier you were talking about how popular dystopian fiction has become, like The Hunger Games and those types of books. Um, now, considering how popular it is to read about, you know, society that's falling apart, do you think that, do you as a writer find it easier or more difficult to find an audience for sci-fi that takes a more positive look at humanity's future? Well, I guess it's partly to be determined. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a great, I've had a great run at, uh, at Wattpad, meaning, mm -hmm. um, you know, lots of, lots of readers and uh, reads and great comments uh, back on Glide and... Yeah, you, you, know, you have over a million reads now, congratulations. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, actually, it's almost it's come up on 1 million, I think, or something. Uh, oh, that's read. fantastic. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, so, 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 that, so that's it. Yes, I think there is an audience for it. I mean, of course, I wish I'd sold more books so far, and the sales haven't been as good as what that has. <laughs> I, I, might be, uh, I might be retiring here, but um, but uh, I, 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 I do think, here's, you know, the answer to your question Dystopian and paranormal and horror and all that stuff um, just is is, uh, is is stuff that triggers you know the kind of biochemical rush, right? It gets fear going and it gets all that sort of stuff, and so we like those things, right? It's, mm -hmm. human, it's part of human nature. I I can't fully explain why it's part of human nature, but it is, and so those will always be popular to us, right? Uh, and they will always be popular in genres, and so. That, and as we talked about just before, you know, utopia is, you know, by contrast, kind of boring. Right? Yeah. Who wants to read about the perfect world, right? Um, nobody wants to read about, about that. Um, the question is, can you create a, a, a future that is, you know, portrayed optimistically, but at the same time preserve those critical elements of storytelling that uh, you know, give us that kind of rush that we want when we read. Um, and I think it can. Um, you know, I'll go back to the term you brought up before, magic. If you think of science in the future as being a kind of magic, as being so intense um, that it is uh, sort of a, a kind of magic to us, at least to our imaginations today, mm -hmm. um, then, you know, like magic, you know, and we all you know, just saw from one of the brilliant, brilliant uh, parts of uh, Harry Potter and what J.K. Rowling created there is that there's good magic and bad magic, right? There's there's good practitioners and bad practitioners, and it's that tension between the good and the bad um, that makes it so uh, thrilling and exciting and creates the story. But likewise, with even with an optimistic future, that optimistic future can be threatened by the dark practitioners, by the scientists of the future who want to create some kind of new order uh, using technology. And so I think you can still create, and that's what I strive to do with, with the trilogy, um, a, uh, that, that tension um, that people, uh, that readers migrate to, but at the same time, maintaining sort of general sort of trend that, you know, yeah, you know, we can and will and should be able to prevail. Um, so, uh, so flexible. Okay. Hopefully, people will be will be uh, drawn to it. Well, yeah, it sounds like they've been drawn to it so far. I mean, a lot of readers on Wattpad have been checking out your story. 
Um, now, you mentioned before that you've been getting, you know, mostly positive feedback on Wattpad. And so you said that that's a good way for you to figure out, you know, what's working and what's not in terms of your writing. Um, have you been tempted at all so far, seeing all the comments that you've gotten to change any plot points or details in the two upcoming sequels to Glide? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I'm going to do in terms of revisiting Glide, the first story. So here's that I've been, you know, sort of head down working on the sequel. I'm happy to report that I finished first draft of it just recently, and. So now I'm uh, in the process of finding an editor um, mm-hmm. for someone new. So actually, if you have any ideas, please let me know. Um, but um, uh, that, that has been my focus for you know for like that uh, you know nine months is, is uh, getting the sequel done, and I hope to have it done and ready for consumption by the end of the year here in time for holidays and stuff. With in writing that and also in you know receiving the feedback I've received, I have thought about restructuring the first story. So restructuring Glide itself. Um, a lot of feedback I got um, was uh, you know, had to do with it moving back and forth uh, as much as it does between the past and the present, and sometimes uh, being confusing and okay. so on and so forth. And, and so I think that there's probably a way to restructure it to uh, make it uh, flow a little bit, uh, flow a little bit better. Um, and uh, I may do that. I'm not sure. I want to get the sequel out first. And yeah. Then, you know, maybe what I'll do is when I put the sequel out, I'll uh, begin to work on restructuring, um, you know, book one and and, uh, and put together some kind of combination where you know if you get one, you can get the other. The, the revised five free or something. I'm not sure. Now, as a writer, do you see it as a positive thing or something that's a bit negative to, you know, be so affected by readers when you're still in the process of writing your novel? It's all good. It's all good. To me, it's all good. Yes, it can be. Of course, it can be distracting. For myself, I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> as my friends and my uh, my family will, will tell you, you know, I've got uh, this, uh, you know, incredible ability to focus so much so that I am accused of uh, ignoring, <laughs> ignoring, ignoring people when I'm in the middle of something. Uh, <laughs> so, um, and so, uh, you know, on the one hand, you know, getting a steady stream of feedback when you're writing could be distracting, but I really view it as just a positive thing that will only make, um, you know, what I do better, you know? Right. Um, so, so I love it. Um, I'm addicted to it. I, I just, I think it's a great thing. Yeah, that's a very good way of looking at things. I think. I mean, a lot of writers that um, that upload works that are in progress on Wattpad tend to look at their feedback and their audience as beta readers. Uh, that would could only help them improve their writing in general. Now, one of your fans uh, um, wrote for your Glide story that. The images, theories, and ideas in Glide completely captured her and made her want to start writing again. How do these types of, you know, very, very positive reader comments affect you as a writer? I feel like there must be a lot of pressure now from having the bar set so high to deliver just an amazing or even more amazing sequel or other stories that are not in the trilogy in the future. Well, I'll tell you, um, of course, it's one of the reasons why I love um, love Wattpad is that you you do get sort of that unabridged uh, feedback. And that kind of feedback is the kind of compliment any writer would die for. So I'm thrilled by getting it, um, you know. Um, and I can also tell you, Pam, that, you know, for, for, you know, that feedback 
Dr. Gotten have also gotten deep back that says, oh, this stuff is a techno babble and the characters are shallow, you know, blah, 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 blah. Ouch. So, you know, yeah, it, it, you know, that's being a writer, right? You can't, mm-hmm. not, I don't care who you are, you can't satisfy everyone all the time. You just can't. Um, that's true. And I'm sure the truth, the truth probably lies somewhere in between. You know, the the very best feedback you get and the very worst feedback you get is probably, you know, somewhere where the uh, where the truth lies. You know, in terms of trying to continue, but, I, but I'll also say that the negative feedback I've gotten has been very rare. Um, and it's been mostly positive, which has been very encouraging. Uh, it's been very encouraging to me. Mm-hmm. And so I want to strive to try to continue to, uh, to match that standard. You know, I created a certain voice and type of uh, or, or style of, um, of storytelling in Glide that I want to try to maintain throughout the whole series. It's not appropriate for other types of genres or other characters. Um, it's, it's a little bit um, uh, brooding, and it's also uh, you know a little bit uh, uh, what I call sort of creative and literary. But and I think it works for Glide, at least for me it does. But uh, you know that might necessarily work for for other genres. But to me, the best writing. As a reader, the best writing is when the words kind of dissolve and the images and ideas and the voice of the characters take over and you can hardly feel like you're reading. That's really what I strive for. I, I strive to reach that point where you just, you're so eager to keep going that you just almost get your reading. Yeah, um, that's my magic moment as a reader. I love it when I get so drawn into the story that I forget where I am and you know, I, I even react physically to a story like I jump up in my seat or I start crying and it's like you're just so involved in the story itself that you forget that it's a book that you're reading. And that's exactly, you know, that's what any writer, you know, kills to get through that feedback that that's what they're writing. Yeah, of course. Now, um, you're working still on the trilogy that to that includes Glide, but do you have any other upcoming projects or stories that you want to get started on? Well, I, um, so, so the sequel, the first sequel to Glad is, uh, as I said, hopefully coming out um, by the end of the year. Um, in the next uh, few weeks, I hope to publish a small collection of short stories. Um, that okay. That's called Unfamiliar, Unfamiliar Fruit. Um, I'm going to, it, it's, um, in total, it's going to be uh, nine or ten stories. Um, I'm going to publish it in small little uh, sort of nuggets of, of three uh, three stories at a time, and so what I'm going to do is my my hope is to uh, publish those through uh, just electronically um, uh, through probably Create Space, which is Amazon's arm, and uh, start to post them one by one on uh, Wattpad um, and try to encourage people to go over and read them, and then maybe even buy them from uh, download them from, uh, from Amazon as well as from uh, Wattpad. So. Uh, unfamiliar fruit, a collection of short stories is something that I'm working on. And and then the other thing that uh, I had, you know, it's funny, um, when I left Accenture to write full time, mm-hmm. I had been working on a completely different manuscript that I'd completed more than once um, uh, while I was at Accenture, you know, working at night and in the mornings and writing whenever I could. Um, and that's a, that's a story that actually starts off being set in ancient Sumer, um, and it uh, is, um, um, you know, very sort of mythologically oriented. It, it, uh, it gets deeply into some of the very original myths um, of our culture. Um, uh, and so that's a story that 
when I get done with Squawhide, I'm going to come back to and uh, hope to um, hope to put out there. Very very different genre. Um, but, so that's more uh, like a fantasy, you know, right? Or is it like a historical type of fiction? Yeah, it's a combination. I would actually just call it straight up uh, literary fiction. Okay. Um, not, not not knowing how to categorize it. it it's uh, um, it, it as I said, it's sort of based on some of our original myths. Mythology is something that uh, has always been a love of mine. Um, I just like just the technology is everywhere. You know, when you see technology, right? Myth is everywhere too. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I just love to think about how it affects us every day. Even when we hardly recognize it or see it, um, you know, it, to me, it's, it's a little bit like technology, right? It's there, it's in our psyche, it's, it's all around us. And, you know, the things that we do um, are driven by it, um, and, and we hardly even know it. So it's uh, it's the kind of story that will look at some of the original myths um, that drive our culture, uh, things like the tree of knowledge and uh, the tree, the tree of knowledge of good and, and evil, and the tree of life, and that sort of thing, and and uh, how those things still uh, still exist in our lives today in a uh, contemporary setting. So. That sounds exciting. I look forward to reading that once you manage to um to have find time <laughs> to work on it. Yeah. Um, going back to sci-fi, though, I mean, I know you're busy with Glide, but have you thought of any other possible innovations and theories in science that you'd like to explore and write more about in the future? Well, the, uh, as, as, as part of what I do intend to uh, uh, write, you know, get into uh, some more. So, for example, in the um, sequel, which is called The Rise of the Neos, um, I, it, it centers around um, a, an augmented reality gaming world. Uh, and... So, which is, you know, sort of a truly immersed gaming world. Right? Mm-hmm. So if you think about Google Goggles that people are starting. You know, like virtual reality, right? Yeah, a little bit like virtual, exactly. It's a little bit like virtual reality, but it's really, truly welded to what we do day to day. And so that's um, what I try to explore. Is, well, where is that going to go if we create these gaming worlds that are really that uh, realistic, and you know, if you're able to just wear glasses and kind of walk around, uh, you can almost be in that world while you're also working, walking through the real world. And you know, how does that affect our lives? So that's one uh, of the um, technologies I'm exploring. I'm, I'm always fascinated by uh, genetic engineering mm-hmm. and uh, the things that uh, are coming out of that. So that's part of what I want to and have been exploring um, in. Uh, in the sequel, and as well as uh, nanotechnology. Nanotechnology is just amazing stuff, and if anything's going to seem like magic in the future, that's going to be it. So. Oh yeah, for sure. I look forward to reading that, then. I can't wait to see how you tackle that. Um, is there anything else that you would like to tell your readers and fans today? Well, sure. Um, well, first of all, I'd like to thank uh, Wattpad, uh, you, Pam, and Maria, and Nina before her, and, you know, for all of the support that you guys uh, have uh, have given me, it's uh, you know I've just uh, I've had such a great experience. It's been very upbeat. You guys are so supportive and positive, and giving me lots of opportunities to uh, present myself and my ideas, and, and you're open and, and you're open for them, and it's just terrific. So thank you. Um, and also, uh, I just like to uh, provide a, a heartfelt thanks. To uh, my readers for your interest and your support. It's readers that keep writers going and fans that motivate us to improve. So, uh, so, so thanks. And, and for, for those readers who are believers in the promise of science, uh, send me your ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and don't 
And uh, the other thing I would say is don't be afraid to be the optimist uh, amongst your uh, family and friends, even when, when it's uh, more hip to be uh, to be cynical. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't hurt to uh, to believe. Um, and for my fans who are writers, right on. Good luck with your own projects and work. That's um, very so good advice. Thank you. Um, and you're very welcome as well for, you know, we're very happy to support really, really great writers on Wattpad. And we really believe that um, what you're trying to do with Glide, you know, it's, it has a very positive message and your writing is fantastic. So we're more than happy to help you out. And thank you for um, joining me in a podcast today, for taking the time to talk to us in this interview. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much. Yeah. And to all our listeners, thank you again for listening to another Wattpad podcast. And we'll see you again next time.